Do you believe that this morning? He's good all the time. As I said in our prayer time, our life might be like a roller coaster. God's is never like a roller coaster. Aren't you glad that God is an anchor? Aren't, okay, two people. You know, I'm going to ask you a question like that early in the service, and two of you always are faithful. God is our anchor, amen? amen? Awesome. And I know that you know that because he's had to be your anchor through the storms of your life. What has it been that has held you in place? It's been him. It's been his word. It's been his truth. And he's a God that never changes. So as long as you've been leaning on that truth, lean, lean longer, lean some more. Because his truth never fails. Well, let me just wish you all a happy new year. Amen? Turn to your neighbor wish them a happy new year. How many know with every new year come new opportunities? New opportunities. But with every new year come new challenges that we need to be prepared for. Amen? I know we're all familiar with the story of Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was attacked on December 7, 1941, a horrible day. A few hours after that, the Clark Airfield base in the Philippines was also attacked. And that entire air base that defended the Philippines and the American interest in Asia was destroyed. About that same time, Singapore was attacked. And just a few days after Pearl Harbor's attack, the HMS Prince of Wales and the HMS Repulse, which are two British ships, were also attacked and sank off the harbor of Singapore. That was December 10th. I think about that story, or these stories, and I think, how could that happen? How could such strong military powers like the United States of America and Great Britain be destroyed so thoroughly and so completely, so quickly? If you've ever watched the film Pearl Harbor, anybody ever see that film? It gives you a little idea how this could have happened. Sailors and military personality, person, okay. Sailors and military personnel on that day were living as if they didn't even have an enemy. They were living, not expecting to be attacked. The Japanese were engaged in this huge deception, trying to make the United States think that they wanted peace when they were preparing for war. Japan was an enemy planning to destroy the United States, and we didn't even know about it. We sure weren't prepared for it. A similar situation is taking place in our world today spiritually. With us Christians, we don't realize it a lot of times, but there is a spiritual war going on all around us. There is a spiritual battle going on all around us. It's December 7th, and we're living like it's December 6th. It's December 7th, and we're living just like they did a lot of times at Pearl Harbor, not expecting the attacks. The Bible talks about going through these things as if we are going to war. I want to talk about spiritual warfare today as we get started into this new year. You may not think, well, that's not a happy topic. Well, God's not all about happy topics all the time. God's about topics that will really transform, change, and save your life. So I want to talk about spiritual warfare today as we go into this brand new year of 2019. It's a subject most of us don't want to talk about, don't want to hear about. But I want to start out with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, as my reason and my justification for preaching this this morning. It says, preach the word of God. 
Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Then it gives the answer why, or the reason why, in verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Sounds a little bit like our world today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, we're told of what most people are going to do when they get that truth. It says they will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. So today, while I've got your attention, open up with Pearl Harbor, it gets people's attention. Amen? I've got your attention. The subject today is spiritual warfare. And as I said a second ago, it's a subject that we don't want to talk about. It's a subject that we don't want to even think about because it makes us think of things that a lot of us don't have a whole lot of information about. Well, today I want to give you some of the basics. And I want you to understand that there is a real spiritual war going on all around us, even right now in the spiritual realm. And I want you to realize how it involves us. Whether you think you're involved or not, you are. Let me take you to where the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual warfare. It's actually in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. But Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesians. He's addressing a group of Christians that are just trying to be Christians, going through life just like you and me. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, I want to stop right there because that word can also be translated from now on. Finally, or from now on, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. He doesn't say be strong in your mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. He goes on in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against evil authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Sometimes I think we get into the habit of thinking when we're thinking of devils and angels, we think of sports teams, right? Or their mascots. Or at best, we think of metaphors for good and evil. We don't see them as real, real spiritual beings. But what if we're wrong? What if there's more? What if there is actually a spiritual war like I've been talking about going on all around us? And what if you and I are actually players in it, whether we know about it or not, or whether we believe it or not? The Bible's clear about it. We are in it. We are part of this battle that's going on that's raging in the heavenlies every day. So why are we so unaware of it many times? I think it's because we just rely on our five natural senses, right? I mean, we rely on these five natural senses that God gave us, feel, taste, hearing, seeing, and smelling. And a lot of times we forget all about the spiritual senses that God gave us. And by ignoring them, guess what happens? We succumb to them. We give in to them. A good example of this is a story I heard about how to cook a frog. Anybody ever heard that story? They said there were two ways to cook a frog. You can put a pan of water on the top of a stove. Uh, you can turn the heat up till it's boiling. And you can drop the frog in the water. The frog's going to instantly realize, this is not right, something's wrong, and he's going to jump out of the, the uh, pan of boiling water and hop all around your kitchen trying to get away from that horrible experience. The second way to cook a frog is to put a pan of water on the stove that's lukewarm, set the frog gently in the water, and the frog just is kind of enjoying the little whirlpool bath he's getting. He's kind of enjoying the lukewarm water, but if you turn up the heat a little bit at a time, before it knows what's happening, that frog's goose is cooked, amen? Or he has croaked, amen? 
But when you heat that water up so slowly, this frog didn't even realize his fate until it was too late to save himself. I think that describes the world that we're living in today, the situations that we are facing today, because I think our society, our world has gotten so corrupt, it's gotten so evil, and it's really ready to destroy us, but we don't even have a clue that we're in a spiritual battle. We don't even have a clue a lot of times that we are in a spiritual war zone. You and I sit here today, maybe things are going great. We're busy with the things about everyday life, seeing how they involve us, but so many times we don't step back and look, about, look at how all these th things involve the world around us. This spiritual world I'm, war I'm talking about today is not a figment of somebody's wild imagination. It's not at all. It's not one of these crazy wartime video games that you see the kids playing today. It's real. It's actually a bloody war to the death between God and Satan. And we're in the middle. This is a war being fought over our souls. And so many times we even come to church services and we don't even realize that we are in a spiritual battle over my soul, trying to take my soul. So today I want to give you a crash course in reality that you may have not even heard about before. But I want to start out by talking about the enemy. Do you realize we do have an enemy? The devil makes, I mean, the Bible makes no bones about it. doesn't try to hide it. It's evident that we have a real enemy. There are spiritual forces of darkness all around us. It names the devil in the Bible. It's not real vague about it. It names the devil. It names and talks about his angels. Satan is known, and you've heard the names, as the devil. He's known as Lucifer, the evil one, the tempter, the deceiver, the adversary. Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> the adversary. And he's known as the prince of darkness. The Bible teaches us that Satan is a fallen angel. Did you realize where he started? He used to be an angel, not just an angel. He used to be a high-ranking archangel who decided to rebel against God. He made the choice to rebel against God, and according to the book of Revelation, when he re rebelled against God, guess what? When he fell from heaven, he took at least a third of the angels with him as they fell from heaven. It says that Satan gave in to pride. The Bible talks a lot about pride and how destructive it can be. It started with Satan. He gave in to pride. He wanted to sit where God sat. He wanted to be just like God. We don't exactly understand, but even today, God allows Satan to exercise his free will to rebel against him, and then I have to stop and think, well, wait a minute, doesn't he give us the free will to make choices in our everyday lives? Some people think the devil's a myth. Well, I can tell you one person that never, ever thought the devil was a myth, and that was Jesus Christ. Some people think he's a figment of somebody's imagination. Well, one person that never thought of him as a figment of anybody's imagination is Jesus. So what are angels exactly? If you're taking notes, first angels are creatures created by God. Oh, they're not God himself. They're not like God himself. They're not on equal footing with God at all. But as created beings, the Bible tells us they have intelligence. They have a free will. They have moral character just like you and I. And we can choose and they can choose either to obey God or disobey God. That's the first thing about angels. Another thing about angels is they are powerful. And I'll just say they are very, very powerful. If you look at the book of 2 Kings, it talks about one time where an angel, one angel, was sent into the Assyrian camp 
and he wiped out 185,000 Assyrian warriors. One. Just one angel. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the world being destroyed at the end of time. You know how that's going to be carried out? By angels. Seven angels carrying out the commands of God. So when you think of angels, don't think of this white fluffy thing with wings all the time. Oh, they might be that too. I want you to see warriors. I want you to see the mighty, powerful creatures that they are. Angels are created, powerful, spiritual beings. Thirdly, there's a lot of them. A whole lot of them. We're familiar with Michael and Gabriel, right? The most famous angels. But didn't Jesus say he had the power to call down legions upon legions of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels, anytime he wanted them, anytime he needed them? The book of Hebrews says thousands upon thousands of angels. John, in the book of Revelation 5.11, says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. So we don't know exactly how many there are, but from just what I've read today, there are a lot. There are probably more than we could ever even count or even imagine. So the big question is, how do you fight against the devil and his rebellious demons, his rebellious angels? We put on the armor of God. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. I love that. If you break that down, he says, when you've done everything to stand in the middle of your battle, keep standing. When you've done everything, you think I've exhausted every effort. No, you haven't. You keep standing regardless of the fight, the battle going on around you. And Paul gives us six specific pieces of armor, six specific pieces of equipment that are ours to take, free for the taking, that are ours to use in this spiritual battle that's raging all around us. And I want to look at this suit of armor and, tell, and look at what Paul tells us to do with that suit of armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I threw a lot at you right there, but I want to break it down individually by individual pieces of armor this morning so you can get a better idea of this suit he's telling us to put on. We're first told about a belt, right? Well, if you think back to the day when Paul wrote this, the Roman soldiers, Rome was controlling the land. The Roman soldiers wore, like probably most soldiers wore, a robe. A tunic was their main article of clothing. And back then, the main way of fighting was hand-to-hand -hand combat. Can you imagine trying to fight a battle with a robe blowing in your face and blowing in the wind? It wouldn't be so easy, right? It would have been a hindrance and a danger. So what did they do? They took this wide, heavy leather belt, and they buckled it around their waist. They buckled it around their waist, and it wasn't only to secure their tunic or their robe, it was also to house their sword. The belt of truth, think about what he's telling us today. It protects us from the enemy's lies that are, to trying, that are trying to destroy your faith. The belt of truth, actually, when you've got it on, gives us discernment to be able to tell what is truth and what's not true, to be able to tell the truth from a lie. 
So whose truth is it? Let me read what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teachings, then you will know and that truth will set you free. So this belt of truth is whose truth? It's his truth. It's his truth that can set us free. And living in the world that we live in, so full of evil, so full of lies, I'd say to every one of us today, we need every bit of this belt buckle around us that we can get. Amen? And really, it's the only way that you're, only go- that you're able to even spot a lie. That's the only way. How can you tell a lie from the truth if you don't know what the truth is? Think about that. If we don't know what real truth is, how can we judge things? Like I mentioned last week, how the uh, feds teach uh, their federal agents how to spot counterfeit bills. They train them to spot counterfeits by studying real bills so carefully and intently so that when a fake comes along, they recognize it. With that said, how much do you know this morning about real truth? How much do you know about genuine truth? And how much do you have of what Jesus has said wrapped around your life? How much do you have of what he has already told us wrapped around your life because it's the first part And usually the first thing that somebody says is usually pretty important. Amen? It's the first thing that Paul says when it comes to suiting up with his armor. Second thing, if you're taking notes, is the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate would have been strapped around your chest, mainly to protect your heart, right? Like a bulletproof vest. But these breastplate of righteousness didn't just protect your front. They wrapped all the way around you to protect all of your vital organs. The Bible says us as Christians, our breastplate is a breastplate of righteousness. You know what righteous means? It means to be right with something or someone. As Christians, it means that we are in right standing with God. So let me ask you, do you have the breastplate of righteousness wrapped around your life today? Do you have the breastplate of righteousness wrapped around the spiritual vital organs of your life? We know that when we come to Christ, we're forgiven, right? What a glorious thing that we're able to be forgiven. We're brought into a relationship with him. Let me ask you this morning, how is that relationship going? How are you treating that relationship? How are you caring for that relationship? As a Christ follower, how's your following going? I mean, when it comes to your life of faith, are you just going through the motions? Are you just going through the motions and kind of blowing things off? Or are you taking it seriously? Are you bringing God more into your life this year and this moment than you did yesterday? so that your walk with Him is a whole lot stronger and better this year than it was last year. And I know, reality is, sometimes it feels like you're taking two steps forward and three steps back. But how many, regardless of that, can say, I'm still gaining more ground with my relationship with God. I'm still gaining uh, uh, more strength in my life with God. That's what putting on the breastplate of righteousness is all about. It's staying, not just being once in a while but staying right with God. So ask yourself, am I wearing this breastplate of righteousness? Do you have it wrapping around your life? The third piece of equipment he gives us, he says, have your feet, feet, have your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. I don't know about you. Well, I'm pretty sure about some of you. I have several shoes at home. I have several pairs of shoes at home in my closet. I have several pairs of shoes out in the garage. And it's not because I have a shoe fetish at all. It's not because I'm a shoe hog at all. It's because different shoes serve different purposes. 
Different shoes serve different purposes. I have dress shoes. I have casual shoes. I have running shoes. I have, I don't do much running, but I have walking shoes. (laughs) I have work shoes. I'll just call them, most of them are boots that I go out and mow the yard in or I uh, clean the barn in. But they all serve a purpose. Think about when Paul was writing this. The Roman soldiers wore, let's just call them war boots. They were more like a heavy made sandal that had big thick soles that laced up with leather straps up to their knees. And the thing that made them so unique was that they would drive spikes through the soles of those sandal-like shoes and turn them into cleats. These cleats were used on the battlefield to give them a more secure footing whenever they were in the midst of a battle. And they were made heavy enough to go and travel long distances, and the Romans were always known for marching long distances, especially in wartime situations. But when it comes to you and me, this verse tells us that our shoes should be fitted. Have you ever been fitted for something? Right down to your right size. We are to be fitted with the gospel of peace. That word gospel actually means the good news. What's the good news? There's a whole lot of it this morning for those that are in Christ. But the good news is that God hasn't given up on you. Do you realize that? God hasn't given up on you, your neighbor. God hasn't given up on the world. The good news is God forgives when he says he's going to forgive. God has forgiven us. And the good news is that when we die, do you know death doesn't have to be the final word? When we die, death doesn't have to be the final word. Jesus took the sting away. So what does wearing that shoe mean for us or do for us? You can stand strong when the devil's looking you in the eye and lying to you. You can stand strong when the devil's looking at you and accusing you of things that God has already forgiven you of. You can look Satan in the eye. You can stand firm. When he throws your past sins in your face, you realize when you're putting these shoes of the gospel, the word of God on your feet, you can look Satan in the eye. And regardless of how many arrows he throws at you, how many arrows he throws at you, you can say, hey, wait a minute. I've been reconciled. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. I've been redeemed. I am a child of the Most High God. Because of what Jesus, your son, did for me, I am a child of the king. Some of us need to get that into our vocabulary because the enemy is going to throw a lot of flaming darts, flaming arrows at our lives, at our minds, trying to hit you wherever he can. There's a powerful battle raging on around us. Oh, we can't see it. It's in the spiritual realm, but it's out to win, or let's just say capture. Men and women's hearts, minds, souls, and spirits. That's why Satan absolutely hates this word. Do you realize he hates that word? He hates the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's what rips the people out of his clutches. It's what uh, saves people that he wants to destroy. Remember the scripture, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy? He hates to see you with your war boots on, is what I'm saying, if you break it down. He hates to see you with those sandals on, equipping you for battle. You realize that means that we can go into any circumstance, any battle, no matter how hard the battle is, without any worries. God's got our back. We can go into that uh, battle knowing that God's got us. Satan hates to see us wearing our war boots. I'll say that. With that said, how many of you are wearing your war boots? Is Satan hating the way you look or is he kind of loving the way you look because you're barefoot? Is your walk with Christ so strong, your faith so devoted to Christ that you're making the devil tremble? 
Or is he laughing at you because you're barefoot? He's not even thinking about you because you're no threat. The fourth piece of armor, shield of faith. In that day, the shield that Paul would have been referring to would have been more like a Roman shield. Do you realize those things were huge? Those things were huge. I mean, a man could stand behind those shields. They're not like a lot of motion pictures we see about this disc about that big around. These were so big, they were like four feet tall, two and a half feet wide. They were made from two layers of wood glued together, covered with a fabric. Then they were covered with leather. Then they were bound with metal. I mean, standing behind one of these shields was like standing behind an armored tank. Think about that. That's how powerful these things were. They also soaked them with water. They soaked these shields in water so that when the enemy's flaming arrows that were lit up, even if they penetrated your sword because of the water in the shield, they couldn't keep burning, quenching the fiery darts of the enemy. I believe Paul is saying to every one of us, even though we're living thousands of years later, I believe this word is just as relevant today as it was then. I believe he's telling everyone here today, you better be holding up your shield. The arrows are coming if they're not already flying. Amen? And the type of shield that you need is not a metal shield. It's a shield of faith. So think about that. Think of all the ways that the enemy could aim these fiery arrows at your life to try to take down your faith. There are a whole lot of ways, and he's going to try a whole lot of ways. How about when you screw up? How about when you mess up? The arrow of guilt and shame is right there, locked and loaded, ready to take you down, making you too ashamed sometimes. And I've been there, too ashamed of what you've done to come to God and ask for his forgiveness, to come to God and realize that, yeah, he can forgive and he can give me a brand new start. So what do we do? We lie there on the ground with that arrow through our heart, overcome with guilt and shame, all because we didn't take up the shield of faith. All of that could have been avoided. Or maybe you're like all of us. At times, you question things spiritually. Maybe you have questions or have had questions about the existence of God or some other spiritual questions. And what does it do? It plants seeds of doubt in your mind sometimes. Seeds of doubt that you don't look as questions to find answers for that would build your faith and build your hope. You basically just go from the doubt to disbelief and give up on your faith. You know why that happened? Because you didn't have your shield of faith up. You didn't have your shield of faith in your hand. So this morning, do you have your shield up? Do you even have a shield? Do you even have a shield of faith? And are you positioning it in a way that you're running toward the enemy? Or are you hightailing it running away from the enemy? To be victorious, we have to hold the shield in our hands. You can't just have it laying over in a corner. You have to take it up. The fifth uh, piece of equipment, the helmet of salvation. Helmets back then and today, many of them are made of metal, bronze or iron back then. Do you realize how critical that helmet was to a soldier? It was vital. Without that helmet, one blow to the head would have ended it all. That helmet gave the soldier confidence. Guess what other helmets gives us uh, confidence today? Children of the Most High God, a helmet of salvation, gives us confidence to know that no matter what hits us, it's always going to, it's going to be all right. No matter what hits us, we're still going to have the victory because Jesus has overcome and he won the victory. But I'd say this, when you absolutely know, you can hear about the Word of God, 
But when you know about the Word of God, it's a difference. There's a difference. When you know that to live is Christ and to die is gain, that's a game changer. That's a battle changer. When you get to the end of your life and you know the season of your life is over, you can look at it and say, well, my new life is just starting. Amen? My new life is just about to begin. And when you have that kind of thinking in your mind, guess what? You're dangerous on the battlefield of life. Amen? You're dangerous. You're not running from the battle. You're running toward the battle. You're ready to engage in it because you know it's not your strength. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, not your own. We're able to run into any battle situation knowing that I am a child of the Most High God and God's got my back, God's got my right, God's got my left, God's got my front, God's got my top, my bottom, God's got me. God's got you no matter what you're dealing with this morning. But the big question is, how's your helmet looking today? Do you even have it on? Do you have it firmly in place? And if you don't have any confidence in your God, I'm guessing maybe you don't have that helmet quite fitted upon your head. This last piece of armor I'm going to talk about today is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Do you notice anything about this piece of equipment different than the others? Than the other five? This is the only offensive piece of equipment. The rest of them were for defense, right? You need defense. But he gives us one piece of equipment for offense to take down the enemy. What's that piece of equipment? Right here. If you brought your Bible, it's right here. If you didn't, it's the scriptures we're putting up on the screen today. That is the ultimate sword of the Spirit. And if you know anything about Jesus, he used that a lot. Oh, he didn't use the book. He had the Word. He was the Word. He used the Word to take down the enemy. Remember when he said, it is written? It is written. That's the only time it records him saying that, but I can imagine he said that a lot in his career. It is written. He cut through arguments. He tore down strongholds with it is written. He challenged and transformed and changed lives. He even confronted Satan in that famous story. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, he said, it is written. Hebrews 4, chapter 12 says this about the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Paul is saying if you want to be victorious in this spiritual battle zone, you can't just read the Word to memorize it. You've got to know it. You can't just uh, read it to be able to speak it even. You've got to know it deep in your heart. You know, I'm getting from what God is saying that that Word is what draws the actual blood of our enemy itself. He's given us the sword of the Spirit to fight back against our enemy. All this talk about armor can be intimidating. Maybe some of you it's a little exciting. But it's powerful. But I'd argue to say the most powerful weapon that Paul is giving us hasn't even been announced yet in this text. It's the next thing that he says that's the most powerful weapon that you and I have as believers. Verse 18. Paul says, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With all this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. If you're engaged in a spiritual battle this morning, regardless of how well you're wearing your equipment, we know that we have to put prayer as a priority. Prayer has to be the first thing. That's what Christian men and women do. That's how they fight on their knees. Do you know the greatest battle position that you and I as Christians could ever take is right here? It's on our knees. It's surrendering to God, knowing that He's my answer. He's my everything. 
He's my commander-in-chief. He's my supply. That's why I think Paul deliberately put this as seventh on his list. If you know anything about the Bible, the, the number seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. So I think what he's telling us is prayer is the ultimate weapon. You and I can have the ultimate weapon. We do have the ultimate weapon right here, right now. Going back to the beginning of this message, back to Pearl Harbor. What happened on December 7, 1941, was that America did not know that they had an enemy. Thousands died. Tens of thousands would die in the years ahead. After hearing this message, maybe you've never heard a message like this before. Most of us have. But you need to know there's a spiritual war going on all around us. There is a spiritual battle being fought in the heavenlies, and we're a part of it. And if you're in this spiritual battle, guess what you need to fight with? Not guns, not knives, spiritual weapons. What you need to be equipped with? The armor of God. Every bit of what I've said today is meaningless. It's worthless unless you actually follow through. And you put on this armor. But to put on, there's some key words in this armor. It says the belt has to be buckled. You can't just put it up here. It's going to fall off. The belt has to be buckled. The breastplate has to be strapped on. Our feet have to be fitted. The shield has to be held up. And the helmet has to be firmly in place. And guess what? The sword has to be in your hand. It's not going to do any good over in the corner. The sword has to be in your hand. So this is something God has given for you and me to do. We have the mistaken thought sometimes that God is just going to so show up and supernaturally arm me. Put on the full armor of God for me or someone else is. Not the way it's going to happen. God says you individually put on your armor. You individually put on your armor. He's got it laid out. He's made it available. It's up to you today to pick it up. I challenge you in this new year of 2019 that I believe God has blessed us with to pick up the full, put on the full armor of God. Not just parts of it that you think are more comfortable. Put on the full armor of God and face every challenge. And I kind of put that too lightly. Face every battle that you're going to face with the full armor of God wrapped all around you. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, we love you. I thank you, Lord God, for your holy word. It's so relevant to the place we live in today. Father, I pray that you would give us a brand new revelation of how real, even how devastating this spiritual war that we're in can be. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be caught off guard in the daily battles that we face. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us courage to put this armor on, to suit up for battle to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the attacks of the enemy no matter how big they might be, knowing that you are greater. Lord, I thank you for your strength that gives us the victory over all of our enemies because we're not strong in our own strength. We're strong in your strength and in the power of your might. But I pray as we go into this brand new year of 2019, I pray that as it's full of opportunities, I pray, Lord God, we would follow you into these opportunities. But, Lord God, we would face these challenges. Wearing the full armor of God, 
that no weapon formed against me can prosper. No weapon formed against this church shall prosper. No weapon formed against your church worldwide could ever prosper because you are God and we're suited up. Father, I give you the thanks and the glory and I pray that every one of us would put on our armor today as we leave this place, suited up for whatever we might face to give you praise and glory in the days ahead, in this new year ahead. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. God bless and go out and change the world for Jesus Christ.